Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Hello, lovely writers. It's Rachel here. I'm currently on hiatus from producing new episodes of the pod, but it is my absolute pleasure to replay this conversation with Christina Brobby, a very talented lyric writer and instructor on the lyric form. And if you need a reminder of what those are, or maybe you haven't heard the episode yet, I encourage you to open your ears up for a great experience of hearing about that form. This is from a series on empathy for writers that we did last year and I think is something that seems to be missing a lot these days. And so I think I would encourage you to think about empathy in this season as well. Just so you know, this is one episode that does take us more deeply into a specific form or even, I guess, more of a category of form. And next season, I plan to thread through specific episodes on really nitty gritty examinations of form. We're going to start with the micro memoir. So if that's something you're interested in, the flash memoir, you'll be able to hear that in the coming season of episodes. And if there are other forms that you would like me to add to the list that we're generating of forms that we'll explore, these can be under the umbrellas of poetry, fiction, or nonfiction, please let me know. I would love to hear about it. You can email me at hello at rachelthompson.co. So listen up to this wonderful conversation, and I look forward to connecting with you in the new year with new episodes. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author, and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. In this episode, it's my pleasure to welcome Christina Brobby to the podcast, a wonderful lyric writer and instructor. We start by getting into what exactly is lyric writing. So if you're wondering, that will be cleared up right away. Christina also delves into the ways the filter is the form, as she wonderfully sums it up. Listen for more of our exploration of empathy for writers. So this is the third in our series when I throw empathy questions at our guests. And Christina also kindly and insightfully brings in the necessity of practicing empathy with yourself as a writer. I know I can always use with hearing that, and I'm sure a lot of you out there can as well. And listen for ways she's used the form to explore the impact our surroundings have on us, to see working in fragments as a feature and not a bug in our memories as creative nonfiction essay writers, and to generally get excited about the variety of brilliant voices using lyric essay forms to tell their stories. So here is Christina Brabi. 
Hi, Tina, and welcome to the podcast. There's sometimes confusion about the umbrella term lyric essay. So I'm wondering, what does that term mean to you? And what does it and does it not encompass? For me, I think lyric essay is where poetry meets prose, you know, that melding of the two. And I think of things like language and imagery. There's a lack of linearity often in lyric prose. It's, you know, almost like a meandering, lots of white space, both figuratively and imaginatively. And uh, fragmentation, trusting the reader, I think that's a big one because, you know, you've got those white spaces or blanks in the what you're not saying and leaving that to the reader to work out. I'd say often there's the meditative tone to a piece, a lyric prose piece. In terms of what it doesn't encompass, I think reported stories, opinion pieces, perhaps where making a point really clear is the most important thing. That's what comes to mind. What led you to lyric writing and how have you honed your writing toolbox with the options and flexibility it provides? There was a course that I took called Spark Your Story back in, I think it was 2018 with Nicole Bright, who's this really gifted instructor, teacher, mentor, and, you know, really cheers your work. And I'd previously heard of the lyric essay in another course I'd taken, but I hadn't explored it until I took Nicole's course. And that really just, I think, exploded things in terms of my writing style and how I approached writing. And in terms of honing, I mean, I do take lots of courses. (laughs) I always seem to be looking for another course to take. But a lot of it really is just, you know, honing those skills by practicing and experimenting and always keeping the lyric prose aspects in mind, regardless of what you're starting to write. Yes, a lot of writers who I work with have also taken that course with Nicole Bright, and we'll link to it in the show notes for anyone interested. Thank you for mentioning that and the importance of taking writing courses to improve your writing craft. I love hearing how you're honing those skills. As you hone, how do you know what shape a story or poem wants to take and what practices help you find a form? Sometimes I have no idea, and I think probably most of us don't, you know, whether what the shape wants to be. So I tend to have two different approaches. One is to just try and get that story down on paper first, you know, all of its ugly facts and just linearity and all of that, because that was what I was doing for years in terms of my professional life. So that's one way, just trying to make sure I capture, you know, what I think is important at the time. Then I'll play with it once I feel comfortable that the essence of the story is there. Then the other way, which I noticed is becoming increasingly common for me, is just to literally write the story in fragments. And I think this is particularly useful if it's a difficult story, but my mind tends to be fairly fragmented, and I think a lot of us do that. So I just write what comes to me on any particular day, and then I gather all of those pieces over time, and then start playing with them and filling in transitions and and those kinds of things if needs be. In terms of knowing what shape a story or poem wants to take, it really depends. Once I've got it down, then that's when I'll start playing, you know, looking for what's missing, 
whether it's research, you know, another aspect of bringing in something else or playing with point of view. If there's gaps in memory, how I can deal with those gaps, like what form might help deal with gaps in a story and whether the story feels flat. If it does, then how can I make that zing? Um, How can I bring it really to life with one of the forms? Yes. Hearing it depends is both really liberating in terms of anything goes, but also daunting because anything goes and where do you start? Where should someone start if they want to start experimenting with less linear, more lyric forms? Well, there's one book that I've used for years that I would really recommend, and it's Tell It Slant by Brenda Miller and Suzanne Paola. It's great for not only explaining the forms, but also giving examples. So that's one of my go-to books. And then I think reading a lot online, there's an online journal called Brevity, and that has, you know, obviously lots of short stories, often lyric prose pieces, not always, but that's a good one. And then I think just taking something that isn't working for you, that you know isn't working you know, maybe it's been sitting in a file somewhere for, you know, a couple of years, just taking that out and playing with it, say, trying it in two or three different forms, like a collage or a hermit crab or braided or flash fiction, seeing what you can do with that. And I think that applies both in, you know, even if you've got a poem, you can do that because sometimes something just doesn't want to be a poem, you know, it wants to be large or it wants to be maybe more specific. So I think just playing it, And it brings the fun back into your writing, right? So, and I think that's always important. What ways can lyric forms help us share difficult stories? I think of the hermit crab that is meant to be a protective shell for the writer when I ask this. And what are the limitations of this? I do love the hermit crab for accessing more difficult topics, you know, whether it's difficult for me to write or whether I think it might be difficult for a reader I think in a sense, it's like adding a filter between you and the subject matter and the filters, the form, in an odd sense, that does make it more accessible. You know, you think about filters and you think, oh, you're putting some distance, but it's not necessarily about that. And I think that's also true for the collage essay where, you know, maybe there's not one particular focus on one aspect of the story and it seems to wander off, branching off in different directions. But when you read it carefully, things come together and, you know, as you're writing it, you're able to touch lightly on perhaps difficult aspects of a story. In terms of limitations, I think one that comes to mind is, you know, if you are dealing with an emotionally difficult story or something that, you know, you've been reluctant to write for a while, I think regardless of its form, it's really important to practice self-care, you know, taking breaks as needed. And they may be breaks of weeks, but always checking in with yourself as well. Tina, can you tell us some of your favorite examples of writing that use lyric forms? Interesting. I was thinking about this in terms of longer forms, like memoirs in particular, because I've been reading a lot of memoirs lately. So one of my favorite short pieces, though, is I think Joanne Beard's braided essay, The Fourth State of Matter. That's still one that I just come back to and am surprised, even though I know the ending. I, I'm always surprised by it and what I find again in that piece. For the books, I think Lydia Yaknovich's 
the chronology of water, Maggie Nelson's Bluets, which is basically collage all about the color blue, Carmen Maria Mercado's In the Dream House, and then a couple of Canadian authors that sort of on my shelves and my go-to books, Liz Levine, and nobody ever talks about anything but the end, which is about the death by suicide of her sister, and Roe McCandless, uh, Persephone's Children, which deals with difficult subject matter like domestic violence, and then Jenny Hygen Wills, older sister, not necessarily related. Uh, those are the ones that come to mind for me. As I mentioned to you before we started recording, we are exploring empathy as a theme in our community this month and also have a critical approach to the term as we do with everything. So I'm wondering, what do you think are both the benefits and downsides to empathy for both writers and for readers? I think this applies to fiction as much as nonfiction, but I think of characters and I think there's a tendency often in non-fiction, you know, to think that, well, we've got this character and, you know, we just have to write them. But it's as important as in fiction to make those characters really well-rounded, you know, and complicated. And I think looking at that character with an empathetic lens really is going to do that for you. You know, it's going to bring that character alive and make them more well-rounded and distinct and more relatable. So that comes to mind for me in terms of empathy. You know, I think just approaching your characters, approaching your whole piece with empathy, but also, you know, yourself, practicing empathy with yourself. We have those days when we sit there and just stare forever at the screen and nothing comes out or what we do we think is, you know, absolutely terrible and we're not going to use it anyway. So why are we doing all of this? And I think just recognizing that there's many of us in the same boat and yet somehow we produce work. And then I think for the reader, I think it's harder there because we don't have the control, but I always hope that the reader is, you know, going to look at this with an empathetic lens. I think one of the things that comes to mind for me is when you think about poetry, maybe you don't think about empathy, but or memoir or whatever. But I think if we do apply that empathetic sort of lens to it, regardless of what comes out on the page in the end, I think the reader is going to have that sense that it was written that. And it might not be a conscious thing, but there's just some emotional, more of an emotional connection to it. I couldn't think of any downsides, to be honest, in terms of approaching your work or hoping that empathy somehow filters into your work. All right, I want to turn to your writing now, and I know that you write stories that explore place, identity, race, and other themes. Can you talk a bit about what drew you to those topics? Well, as a child, my mother loved moving, and so we did it often and <laughs> got used to new places. Then after I left home, I moved to Canada, you know, first to Toronto, I lived there for a number of years, and then to my current home here in the Yukon. I've spent a lot of time thinking of the impact our surroundings have on us, you know, whether it's being on holiday and that feeling of discombobulation that comes with that, especially in the first few days when everything's unfamiliar, or whether it's moving to a place and feeling immediately at home. So, yeah, I think place has always really drawn me. Yeah, I'm obsessed about 
writing about identity and race. And I think that part of that stems from, or a lot of it stems from being a woman of colour who grew up with white adoptive parents. And so I didn't look like anyone else when I was growing up. And then when I had my son, his features were strikingly similar to one of his uncles who was just a little bit older than him. And I was always fascinated with that. And then when I did find my first father, so my birth father, there was that striking similarity between the two of us. And now I have a grandson who looks like me. And so this idea of likeness and being alike, it's something that I'll never take for granted. And I'm just absolutely fascinated with that whole sort of idea. And what are you writing right now, Tina? I just finished up a three-month course with Lydia Yuknovich, actually, who I mentioned her memoir that she wrote called Chronology of Water. It was a course that was designed for writers working on a full-length book project and something where we were either struggling with form or something else, but where the form was perhaps going to play a feature, a fairly strong feature or I think she chose pieces that were somewhat unusual. Anyway, I was working on my memoir about finding my first family, and it's something that's been in progress for so long, and I haven't been able to find the form on that, and I don't know why I didn't give up on it a long time ago. But now, after finishing this course and coming up with some ideas I'm really excited and uh, motivated to finish it. So right now that's what I'm working on. I'm trying to stay focused on writing on that for a change. What forms have you been having fun with or that give you a feeling of experimentation? One of the things that I've been playing with in the memoir is found poetry and erasure poetry and the idea of making poetry from found forms and documents. And, you know, I think of Nobesi Philip and her book Zong that was created from a legal decision about the massacre of African slaves by a ship's captain. And so experimenting with the idea of what's not on the page as much as what we choose to put on the page, that's really got me excited. And that will be, I think, part of my memoir now. And then the other thing, because I always have another thing that's on the go, even though <laughs> even though I'm working on the memoir technically, I've had a collage piece that I've been working on. You know, I said earlier that I work in little fragments and this one's been in a notebook and on my computer for probably a couple of years now. I love where it's leading me in the research. You know, there's an 80s British movie that part, forms just a small part of this essay and when I was down in Vancouver at Christmas, I was walking past a record star window and there was a DVD of my movie that I've been trying to half-heartedly look for and thinking I, I really must get that sometime. And there it was in the window. So, of course, now I've got it and have to actually watch it and then write about, you know, those couple of paragraphs that will finally show up. Can you tell us about the workshop you'll be offering our community on the lyric essay? And what do you hope writers will take away from the experience? It's intended as an introduction or perhaps a refresher to the lyric essay forms. And I'm hoping that participants have an aha moment, you know, like a flash of, hey, I think this form might work for that piece or I can really bring this to life by slowing down one moment in time or drilling into details or bringing a moment alive on the page. 
I spoke earlier about how excited I am when something does come. And it's just an incredible experience to have that. And that's what I hope participants will come away feeling, you know, that excitement about a particular piece and wanting to dive back into it. Thank you so much, Tina. We're really looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So that was the luminous Christina Brobby, who is teaching a workshop with us today as of this recording release on February 28th. If you're listening after the 28th, you missed your chance to learn live from her this time. But all of our workshops live on in our permanent collection in the member library of the Writerly Love community. You can get all of the details about the Writerly Love membership at rachelthompson.co slash join. I loved Christina Brobby's take on the importance of what's not on the page, the blanks in what you're not saying, and leaving to the reader to work out, as it is something truly delightful for me about reading lyric essays. And she shared so many great examples of must-read lyric writing, and all of the titles and author information are up on the podcast page for this episode at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 67. This is episode 67. I love, love, love an essay that has found its perfect form, whether it's the shell of the hermit crab or another shape. And there's so much good reading she recommended that I encourage you to check out. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson, and my co-producer for this episode is the talented Melly Walker. Sound editing is done by Adam Linder of Bespoken Podcasting. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. When you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters, sent every other week, sometimes more often, and filled with support for your writing practice. If this episode encouraged you to find the filter, aka form, for your writing, I'd love to hear all about it. You can reach me at hello at rachelthompson.co and tell other luminous writers about this episode. You can do this by sending them to the podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast or searching for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. And this is the way that writers find out about the podcast. As I mentioned, I'm not on social media. I'm not really marketing it in other ways. So word of mouth is definitely how other writers find us. And I really appreciate those referrals. Thank you. So thank you for listening. I encourage you to consider what you can deliberately leave out as you write your luminous work. Christina Brobby shared her land acknowledgement. Hi, I'm Christina Brobby, and I'm recording this on the traditional territories of the Kwanandun First Nation and the Ta'an Kwachan Council up here in the Yukon Territory. And Melly Walker shared her land acknowledgement for her co-production on this episode. This is Melly Walker recording from Unseated with St. Mitch Territories. And I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and presently occupied by the El Muzina Bedouin. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.